Electricast. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to pay attention near the end of the podcast. I've got a really exciting announcement for you. Star Trek says that space is the final frontier. But is it actually faith? Maybe it is. And that's what Worf is going to be exploring. In that, I'm going to share how to meet people where they are. And I'm going to share a strategy to bring two opposing viewpoints together. All this as we watch the 23rd episode of the sixth season of The Next Generation, Rightful Air. It's shift change on the USS Enterprise, and Worf is a no-call, no-show. Commander Riker and his small team head to his quarters to see what's up. He's got a full-on hibachi burning in his quarters. He's meditating or... He's some kind of high, maybe. I don't know. Either way, not good. Riker asks him what's going on, but he is in no shape to respond. Picard comes in. On your feet, Lieutenant. And he makes it clear that his behavior is unacceptable. Worf Worf says he's feeling lost, empty. He's questioning his faith in Kalis. Now, there's a deeply held belief in Klingon culture that Kalis, who's supposed to be the greatest warrior of them all is waiting in Stovacor, that's the Klingon afterlife, until he will one day return and unite all Klingons. To Worf, he's a cultural and religious icon. To other Klingons, like Takuvma and Volk and Discovery, he is the ultimate expression of the Klingon faith. So Worf is having a crisis of his faith. Picard approves a leave of absence for Worf to visit the monastery on Boreth to help resolve this crisis. To Klingons, there is no more sacred place. He arrives and meditates with the monks. Koroth, the high priest of the monastery, mentors and supports him. Koroth is very involved in Klingon politics and has openly doubted and even opposed the chancellor of the high council, Gowron. After a lot of frustration, Kalis... Kalis finally appears to Worf, but it was supposed to be a vision. This isn't just a vision. This is actually Kalis. You are real. I am Kalis, 
And I have returned. He's put to the test by the high priests and he passes them. So everyone celebrates the return, the return of Kalos. Orca, do, buck, Kalos. Worf has his doubts. Kalos lets him scan him with his tricorder. Now, if you're at all familiar with the Christian faith, this is an almost beat-for-beat retelling of when Thomas, who we all know as Doubting Thomas, met the resurrected Jesus, who let him touch the wounds from his crucifixion. Unlike Thomas, though, Worf still just, just isn't convinced. In true Klingon fashion, this turns into a huge fight, and they hash it out with their batleths. They battle across the room, smashing tables and rolling around the floor. It's pretty evenly matched. Worf, Worf is calm. He's ready to rock. Well, Kalos, Kalos appears to be getting winded. He ends the fight. <laughs> Look at us. Two warriors locked in battle. We are Klingons! Everybody's on board. They seem excited, but Worf just watches on. He looks confused. He's still not convinced. Given the return of a religious icon, the Enterprise is set to go pick him up and host a meeting with Chancellor Gowron. Despite the questions about who or what Kalos is, Picard insists that he's treated as an honored guest, just as Gowron will be. Data, Lieutenant Commander Data, approaches Worf. He wants to learn more about faith and what it means in this context. He says a thing here that is such an example for the whole world today. As an android, I am unable to accept that which cannot be proven through rational means. I would appreciate hearing your insights on this matter. <laughs> oh, could you imagine? Imagine if we, as a society, could talk with each other like this, like this, and share, share differing and opposing opinions. Oh, oh, what a wonderful world. What a wonderful world. Gowron flat doesn't believe Kalos is a divine being. He wants this guy shut down. Kalos has been dead for a thousand years, but the idea of Kalos is still alive. Have you ever fought an idea, Picard? He sees him as a threat to his power and a catalyst for civil war. Gowron has a knife that tradition says has the actual real Kalos' blood on it. So they agree to a genetic comparison test to confirm if he is or isn't actually Kalos. The genetic patterns are identical. And he's the real deal. Worf visits him to share the news and celebrate it. He notes, though, while they're celebrating that Kalos, Kalos doesn't remember the taste of Klingon drinks. He has no... He has no insights or wisdom to share from his time in Stovacor. Despite this, though, Worf now has bought into this vision. Gowron tries to convince him that it's all a political ploy from Koroth, but Worf is all Kalos at this point. He rejects Gowron and makes a final effort to convince him that Kalos should be followed and he should be revered. Gowron visits Kalos, who immediately shares a parable to the people gathered. Everybody's eaten out of the palm of his hand. They're completely impressed, but not Gowron. Gowron pushes back. If you were really there, you should be able to tell us the name of the man outside the walls. Describe him to us. Kalos doesn't have an answer. He says he doesn't remember. So Gowron, Gowron's Klingon. So what does he do? Yep, he attacks. 
it's the Chancellor versus the greatest Klingon warrior that has ever lived. But after a violent battle, Gowron wins, and it's only Worf's hand that stops him from killing Kalos. He leaves laughing, victorious, and this changes Worf's entire view. Gowron was right. He pieces everything together. Kalos had no memories of his actual life that mattered, that had any depth to them. He didn't remember the taste of things that any Klingon should know, and he can't fight as the warrior he's said to be. Koroth comes clean, and he comes clean in front of both Kalos and Worf. You see, the clerics, the monks at Boreth cloned Kalos. Kalos is, is a clone. You are a copy, a fraud. The actor here is awesome. Kevin Conway, through the makeup, with his eyes, he's really, really selling how lost, confused, and disappointed Kalos is right now. He, he believed he was the real and true Kalos. After thinking on everything and talking with Data, Worf sees an opportunity. He believes the idea of Kalos has real power. So he makes a bold, bold proposal. Kalos can be that leader as emperor. Basically a figurehead. Political power would stay with the council and with the chancellor, but Kalos can be an image, an ideal. There's a lot of debate between Gowron, Worf, and Koroth, but Kalos accepts it, and eventually so does everyone else. Join with me, Gowron. And after hundreds of years, the Empire has an emperor once again. The emperor is not as forgiving as I am. If you are not a fan of the Worf and Klingon storylines in Star Trek, this is not the episode for you. But if you are, you're going to love it. Me, I'm honestly kind of in the middle on these two things, right? I really enjoyed this episode, though. There's some severe, <laughs> severe overacting that makes this one eh, probably a little more funny than it probably should be. But it has a really serious theme. And it's doing what Star Trek does when it's at its best. It asks really Challenging questions that honestly do not have a clean answer. Cut the corks, corks is fun. Come right now, don't walk, run. I love listening to podcasts, especially ones that offer something special and unique. I recently started listening to a podcast that's ranked in the top 1% of all podcasts across the globe that really tackles a confusing topic and tackles it in a way that brings clarity and actionable advice for you to make a real difference in anything you're trying to achieve. The Decoding Success podcast not only shines a light on the importance of defining success for you, but also helps you to navigate and connect to what drives you, what you're passionate about. Join guests like Mel Robbins, Grant Cardone, Gabby Bernstein, and more. Check out the Decoding Success podcast. I am loving every episode. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. That's the Decoding Success Podcast. Parenting can be tough, but sharing stories, even the tough ones, are how we come together and strengthen our village. Connect with your team through these stories. Welcome to our village stories. Parenting through passion and grit. To become a villager, hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hello, my name is Silas and I'm one of the hosts on Uploading Podcast. On my show, we talk about tech and gaming news stories that you probably wouldn't hear about on other podcasts. Japanese gaming furniture brand Bahamut launched its first gaming bed. We'll also chip in our own quirky opinions and a lot of weird adult jokes. This version of her has very... They took the boobs. It's just coming out soon. That's what he said. That's what Intel said. So if you enjoy that, search Uploading Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. There's a version of this podcast where we contemplate the deep questions this episode poses about religion. In the absence of empirical data, how will you determine whether or not this is the real Kalos? It is not an empirical matter. It is a matter of faith. But this is not the Starfleet Ecumenical Academy. But it does pose one powerful question that is mirrored, in my opinion, by the Tony Award-winning musical, The Book of Mormon. In a roundabout way, the musical and this episode both mock religion and also hold it in very high regard. In the musical, the missionaries, Elder Price and more importantly, Elder Cunningham, are just not prepared for what they face in Uganda. So they do what any enterprising 18-year-old would do. They make stuff up, <laughs> which is honestly kind of what Koroth and the clerics at the, at the monastery did. They've been waiting for Kalos to return for a long time. They get impatient, so they just make him up. But in both cases, things start to get better. People start doing good things. So the question becomes, even... Even if what, if what people believe is complete and utter nonsense, if it compels them to do good things, does it, does it really matter? Even if we change some things or, or, or we break the rules. Like I said, this isn't an examination of faith or religion, so consider that a bonus question that you get to consider. Now, if you followed Worf's story, this episode totally, totally makes sense. Like, there is nothing Nothing in the world that Worf wants more than to be what, what he sees as the perfect Klingon. In a recent two-parter on the show, he has an opportunity to meet some Klingons that have been cut off from the rest of the galaxy. So while I was there, I tried to teach them, teach them about their people, their culture. When he meets Kalis, he sees this as his opportunity to really, truly be Klingon. And it's, it's great. It lines up with everything that we've learned about Worf. It's honestly, it's pretty cool. There's one scene at the beginning that I just loved. Riker and Data are on the bridge and they're wondering where Worf is at shift change. Isn't Lieutenant Worf scheduled to replace Ensign Tarragon? Yes, sir. And while they're talking about it, the Ensign dude is just glaring at them in the background. He's centered like almost perfectly on screen. He's like, hey, I know you're talking about me, man. And I know, I know you're about to ask me to stay late. There's no way we're going to be out by five today, are we? One of the things I love about this episode is that it has impacts all the way into Deep Space Nine and the Klingon arcs that happen there. But, but nothing, nothing too huge. But in a cool nod to continuity, in the second season Discovery episode, Through the Valley of Shadows, Captain Pike visits this same monastery on Boreth as well. 
That episode happens about 103 years before this one. I don't know. I just thought it was a pretty cool connection and tied to what Worf was saying about this being a sacred place. And like I said earlier, if you're into the Klingons on Star Trek, or even just Worf's story, this is an essential episode. But if you're not into them, but you're into what Star Trek is all about, this is still an essential episode. Personally, I'm a person of faith, and that faith colors a lot of my world and my lived experience. But even as a person of faith, this episode caused me to, to ask some real questions. It challenged, it challenged my beliefs. This episode was really, really well done. Command codes verified. In an episode that focuses on religion and faith, there are two really big leadership lessons we're going to dive into. Picard appears very briefly in this episode, but when he does, he puts on a master class in meeting people where they're at. We see a militaristic side of him that, that honestly is the perfect thing at the perfect time. And we also learn a difficult lesson from Worf. He's caught in the middle of two seemingly opposing viewpoints, but he helps the people holding those views see the bigger picture and where they actually want the same things. Worf is going to show us how to connect the unconnectable. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Stay tuned for info on the Starfleet Leadership Academy Patreon subscriber drive. There are fun incentives to either become a new subscriber or upgrade your current subscription. Details are coming up. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is all about helping you learn about leadership, and this episode totally does that. But it also very explicitly says what some people still think leadership is, and they couldn't be more wrong. Do not forget that a leader need not answer questions of those he leads. It is enough that he says to do a thing and they will do it. <laughs> wow, Kalis, Kalis, no, that, that has never, never been real leadership, but even more so now. Oh, yikes. Please do not listen to Kalis on how to best present yourself as a leader. But do, do listen to and watch Picard. When this episode begins, Worf is in a rough way. He's having an existential crisis of faith and of identity. Who am I? He's not showing up for work and he's not taking very good care of himself. At this point, he's been working with Picard for about six years. And as we've seen throughout the show, Picard takes the time to get to know and to connect professionally with the people he works with. He's able to leverage this to provide the level of leadership people need or, or really to know, to know how to talk to someone based on what's happening to them at the time. In the past, I've highlighted times when he's spoken with his team and asked them questions to help lead them to a solution. We've also seen examples where he's asked somebody else, like, like Troy or Riker, to address something with someone because he knows the person will receive it better. They'll actually hear what they need to hear if it comes from them. Those approaches generally work well with people, especially when you know them well enough to know their preferred communication styles. But those approaches will absolutely not work with Worf right now in this moment. Now, before we look at and break down Picard's approach, let's look at the dimensions that have to be considered when interacting with someone. And even, even before that, I want, I want to say, don't make this out 
to be more than it needs to be. Would the detour system? Would the detour system? Would the detour? Would the detour system? These are just dimensions that need to be considered, and often that happens as a matter of course for you. My challenge to you, though, is to be more intentional about this, but don't don't make it such a formal exercise that like now you're filling out forms and templates and doing assessments. No, this isn't this isn't that at all. Just just pause. Pause before your interaction and consider these things, right? So first, what is your relationship with this person, both both organizationally and personally? Are you their direct supervisor or are you their supervisor's manager? Are you a peer? Your organizational relationship has immediate implications. If, if for example, you're the person's manager, when you talk to them, you may be seen as a, as a very important person and it might be difficult for them to see past your title. Or if you're a peer or, or you report to them, it might be difficult for them to give your thoughts and feedback the weight that they deserve. And then personal relationships have additional impacts. There's there's the person I've worked with for two years. I've gotten to know him pretty well. My interactions with them are going to be different than the person that joined the team three weeks ago. Now, that, that doesn't mean I'm going to treat them differently, right, from a work-related standpoint. we got to be consistent, fair. we got to be equitable in all of our interactions. But, but the reality is that time and type of relationship make a difference, right? There's a measurable impact on the trust that you're working from. Now, another dimension is the situation. Looking at Worf, if he approached Counselor Troy or Commander Riker and said that he was having a personal problem and and he thought that that problem might impact his work, well, that's going to look a lot different than a no-call, no-show to his shift. For anyone who might be confused by my slang, no-call, no-show is the quick abbreviation, often put as NCNS, for an employee who does not show up for a scheduled shift and doesn't call to let you know that they're calling out. Now, there are honestly many other dimensions to consider, but, but these are a great place to start. So what we see from Picard is that he's going to interact with someone that is organizationally two levels below him. Worf reports to Commander Riker as the XO, and he reports to Picard. So right off the bat, there are position-related implications to this interaction. Now, personally, they've worked together for six years, and even deeper than that, Picard has stood with Worf through awful and traumatic experiences, like, like when he received a discommendation from the Klingon High Council. Do not forget what he does here today. Because of this, there's a very high level of trust between the two. And then we add in the situation. Worf is a department head that is facing a personal crisis and it's impacting his work. And based on Ensign Dude that had to at least stay late, it's impacting his team too. So with all this, Picard's normal approach of of gently asking questions likely is not going to work. He knows that he needs to connect with Worf where he is so he decides to shock him into listening. Picard comes to Worf's quarters, and he likely expects what normally happens with Picard, right, when he comes in, but instead, Worf gets... On your feet, Lieutenant. But, and this is a huge but... I like big butts and I cannot lie. When Worf responds to Picard, and once he's confident Worf has heard him, he completely shifts to compassion. My behavior has been excusable and understandable. What he does here is amazing and a really big deal. I really want you to hear this, right? Being firm 
and delivering difficult messages does not have to be mean. It doesn't have to be detached or without compassion. Picard is clear that the behavior was unacceptable, but he also validates Worf's feelings. If you watch this scene, Michael Dorn does an incredible job. Once Picard does that, his entire, his entire demeanor changes. He's open to hearing what Picard has to say, and Picard totally takes advantage of that. He shifts to a solution space, offering a leave of absence to go, go do his stuff, but also ensures, once again, that Worf understands what's going to need to happen after that. When you set foot on this ship again, I expect you to perform your duties like a Starfleet officer. Yes, sir. What's cool about this is it sets Worf up for success. He gets time and resources to take care of himself. Yeah, that's another thing. Picard, Picard basically gives him a shuttle to get to Boreth. Worf's organization is actively investing in his wellness. Wouldn't it be cool if every organization did that? Lisa needs braces. Dental plan. Lisa needs braces. But it also level sets for Picard. There's a real chance that through this, Worf decides he can't meet the behavior expectations Picard has laid out. And if that happens, that's cool. All the expectations and the outcomes have been discussed and everyone is clear on what the future could look like. And because of all this that he's been given, Worf basically becomes a superhero. He knows what is expected of him. He knows that he has the support of his leadership. I believe that this feeling is what empowers and enables him to basically, basically alter the course of the entire Klingon Empire. The clerics of Boreth, Koroth specifically, have set up a super intricate lie. They've engineered the return of their messiah with the hope that he can take control of the empire from Gowron and the High Council. On the other side of that, we've got Gowron who, put gently, oozes ego. Words of wisdom. Drop that zero and get with the hero. I mean, he has straight up murdered political rivals and hasn't hesitated to plunge the empire into civil war to protect his status. So this is a pretty simple equation, right? I mean, the late great Gorilla Monsoon put it best when he said, the irresistible force meets the immovable object in regards to the epic matchup that main evented WrestleMania 3. Except this time, instead of Hulk Hogan, what you gonna do, brother? And Andre the Giant, anybody want to feel it? We have Gowron and Kalos through, through Koroth. Now in the end, Worf was able to bring these two disparate forces together. But before that, Gowron was outright advocating for the death of Kalos. And Koroth, he wasn't that far off either. But Worf's journey made him look at this as more than just a struggle for power. For Gowron and Koroth, this was, this was binary, right? Kalos dies and Gowron retains power. Or Kalos lives and Gowron loses it all. And that's, that's what every argument was focused on in this. Who would lead the empire? But Worf's journey of questioning his faith, gaining it back, questioning it again, then going all in, and then losing it completely, gave him a different perspective. It took him out of the weeds. It took him away from that binary choice. And it helped him see the entire forest, right? That, 
that's when he saw the potential solution. I'm willing to bet this happens with you too, right? You see something one way and someone sees it the opposite way, or you see this between members of your team. We tend to get so locked into the thinking that your gain equals my loss or vice versa. But it literally takes just a simple, simple thought exercise to move away from that. Pausing and consciously removing two words from your thinking can change everything. Remove the word you and remove the word I. And suddenly, you're only left with we. As a simple example, you want to change how work is distributed to the team so you can do more of the stuff that you're interested in doing. I want to maintain the way things are done now because the work is distributed equitably and our customers get what they need. Boom. Conflict, right? Something you've probably encountered in your day-to-day. And depending on how we approach each other, this can get really unpleasant really fast. So let's reframe this by dropping the word you and dropping the word I from it, okay? All right, so let's uh, let's think about this, okay? All right, so if I take those away and merge these two statements, here's what I get. We want to distribute the work so we can do what interests us while distributing the work equitably and being sure the customers get what they need. Now, do you see what just happened? We literally went from fighting words... Hey, you, let's fight. Them's fighting words. ...to a mission statement. This is something we can partner on and both work on together to achieve. Now, in this episode, this happens after Kales being a clone is shared with everybody. From Gowron's perspective, it becomes, you are a fake that has no credibility, and I am the rightful chancellor that can best lead the empire with honor. For Koroth, it's, you are corrupt, and I have the person that people believe in and can best lead the empire with honor. It's Worf who steps in and removes the you and the I. And he says, we want the empire to be ruled with honor. And we have two people, one with a political right to rule and another that the people believe in. And this changes everything. Now it's about leading with honor and acknowledging that both parties bring so much to the table. Kalis. Kalis sees the wisdom in this. Join with me, Galron. And brings everyone together. Put more simply, by reframing the issue, reframing the statements, it removes all personal ego from the equation. And then it empowers everyone to focus on what's really important, what's shared between both sides. So instead of the irresistible force meeting the immovable object, it's the immovable object becoming the irresistible force, or or something like that. If you're supporting the Starfleet Leadership Academy through Patreon, thank you so much. This isn't just the best way to support the show. It's also a way to access bonus content and merch that isn't available anywhere else. Higher support tiers even get regular access to me personally. Over the next few weeks, up until the middle of July, we're going to be having a Patreon subscriber drive. Anyone that becomes a new subscriber or upgrades their current subscription level will be invited to a live meet and greet or, a, or an Ask Me Anything that will be hosted on Zoom. All you have to do 
is go to patreon.com slash SFLA and sign up as a subscriber or upgrade your current level. Once the drive is ended, you'll receive your invitation via the email you signed up with. And that's not all. If a hundred or more people start subscribing or upgrade their subscriptions, I'm going to host a watch party of one of the Star Trek films. So visit patreon.com slash SFLA or click the link in the show notes and subscribe today. And once you've done that, share it on social media and be sure to tag me when you do. I'm on Twitter at SFLA Podcast and just about everywhere else, even, even TikTok now, at Jeff T. Aiken. That's Jeff T. as in Doubting Thomas, A-K-I-N. Computer, what are we going to watch next time? Working. Hey, do, do you remember when I did the entire first season of Picard? Well, well, I sure do. Wow. Well, in there, I talked about the stuff Soji was tossing around in her quarters when she was trying to figure out who she was and where she came from. I mentioned a lunchbox that she had in there. That lunchbox had a children's hollow novel character on it named Flotter. Well, the random generator has deigned to ensure that you know about Flotter. Yep, it's the fifth episode of the fifth season of Voyager, Once Upon a Time. It is, in, in many ways, a Neelix episode, but it's also an episode that establishes one of my favorite Voyager relationships, Naomi Wildman and Seven of Nine. I can't wait to share it with you. And until then, ex astra scientia. This episode of the Starfleet Leadership Academy is brought to you in part by Podcash. It's a collaboration between Racket and Stir. Podcash is free cash for your podcast. They recently gave away $100,000 to up-and-coming podcasters as a way to support creativity. If podcasting has been on your to-do list or you're already a podcaster, visit Podcash today. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-H dot com to stay up to date with future podcast happenings. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, the Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interview. Electric Acid. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electricast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electricast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electricast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electricast. Electric acid.